Hey Black Queer Love family, you are tuning in to Black Queer Love, a podcast by Black Queer folks exploring relationships, sex, love, pop culture, life, art, and more. I am Phoenix, the sexual ethicist, and I am joined on this episode by a special guest, Amber Johnson. With us in spirit are our co-hosts, Store, the storyteller, and Jay, the body practitioner. We are pleased to offer you episode five entitled, Don't Fall in Love. I'm excited. And here's why. I'm excited to have a guest today on our show. And it's not just any guest. It is the Dr. Amber Johnson, Associate Professor of Communication and Social Justice at St. Louis University and founder of The Justice Fleet. And you can find out more about The Justice Fleet at thejusticefleet.com. F-L-E-E-T, not F-L-E-E-K, as in fleek. No, sometimes justice is not on fleek, but it is a fleet. All right, so Amber, so good to have you. Good morning, Elise. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm glad. All right, so we're just going to jump right into it. This, we wanted to um, have a conversation, Amber and I, uh, about relationships. Um, I guess we think of ourselves as experts or perhaps just tried and tested when it comes to relationships. So hopefully there's a lot that we can gain from this conversation from one another and from hearing back from you all after the recording goes forth. But I just want to start with this question of uh, freedom because I've met a lot of people lately and everywhere I go, everybody's talking about how free they are. And I'm so glad that everybody is free. But when I um, engage people on a deeper level, I find that sometimes they uh, are in uh, some sometimes antagonistic relationship with their families, or maybe their um, love life is not where they want it to be. But the, 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 the word of the hour seems to be free, whether or not people have the tools to embody that. And then some of us do have the tools to embody that and more power to those people. Maybe as, as I was talking with my partners recently, freedom isn't so much a state of being uh, or a state of existence, but maybe it's a state of mind. So I don't know, that's where I'm sitting on it and finding that freedom comes and goes, but you can't always depend on freedom the way that we want to. <laughs> but um, freedom, freedom can be a, a fickle thing. Freedom can be a fickle thing. What do you think, Amber? Talk to me about what it looks like to be free in relationship and um, your, your sense of what, it, what freedom is in relationship. First, I just want to say it's ironic that the ambulance uh, sirens are going off when we're talking about freedom. So I, I think that freedom has been um, constructed very mildly and um, not necessarily in ways that are productive and kind of almost in how, how love has been constructed, right? So mm. when you go up to someone and say, I love that sweater, or I love those shoes, the next question that follows is, where'd you get it from? Mm-hmm. Right, which signals some type of consumption mm-hmm. um, and this consumptive behavior. When I think of free spirit, I think that's where this freedom uh, ideas are, are stemming from, right? They're kind of like birthed from that. It's this idea that I can do whatever I want, 
mm-hmm. and uh, live in my quote unquote authentic self mm-hmm. and maybe not suffer the consequences of that. Um, and so I don't think it actually has anything to do with the state of being free so much so as feeling like we have the right to be autonomous. We have the agency mm-hmm. to choose how we want to perform and move through the world. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think we find ourselves in relationships that aren't necessarily freeing, but we claim this idea that we're free. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I think about freedom, specifically in relationships, I go back to this idea of love and consumption, and love cannot be consumptive in relationships. And mm. I think too often we find ourselves in that place, right, where we meet someone and we are so enamored with their awesomeness that we feel like we have to own them, we have to consume them and possess them, right? They have to be ours, you are mine. Mm-hmm. And that is not what freedom looks like. And so, you know, there's that silly quote, um, I think 50 Cent made it famous amongst, uh, I don't know if we're in that same generation. I think we are in our generation, right? Uh, if you, was it 50 Cent or was it DMX? If you love something, it was DMX. If you love something, let it go. You know, if it comes back to you, it's yours. Or, 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 and Mike Barks. If it doesn't, uh, you never know. Right. You got me, I got you. A dog right. with a dog. That was with a lead. <laughs> rest in peace. Right, right. Rest in peace for sure. And all, although the statement's kind of silly, I think it's very, very true. If you love something, to me, that looks like allowing it the space and the depth and the, and the breath to grow and mm-hmm. become whatever it needs to become without you impeding on it. That's yeah. freedom, right? Yeah. And not saying, I have this expectation or this vision of you, and if you don't live up to it, I'm going to mold you so that you do. And then if you fail, then I'm going to leave you, mm-hmm. right? Because you mm-hmm. are not worthy of ownership. Mm-hmm. So freedom in a relationship looks like the ability to thrive and be without these built-in expectations or without the consumption of each other in ways that's unproductive and harmful. Yeah. I really like this idea that you put forth of like the freedom lying in the agency to choose. And I guess it makes me think about the ways that we might prevent ourselves from being free and um, that it's not always the person that's outside of us. I I think I think um, as my, I think my mama used to say used that to say. Uh, <laughs> besides take your time, young man, young woman, <laughs> um, she would say, um, <clears throat> you know, people will do what you um, allow them to do, and and you give them an inch, they'll take a yard. Give them a yard, they'll take a mile. That's Bob Marley, and it, it um, there's some truth to that. There's also some some falsity to that. Like maybe people can just like not be assholes and try to take advantage of everything and try to consume everything or try to um, make a, a trinket and a, and, a, and a gift, a little thing that they can tie up in a bow and put it in a box out of everything that they see in their lives. But um, then maybe on some other level, maybe people can, um, you know, allow a thing to be free allow themselves to be free by giving the power to choose. Isn't it lovely to think that each day when you wake up to that face that you wake up to or those faces that you wake up to, that it's your choosing and not because there was a document that makes it such that it's um, sort of like legal that you all be together (laughs) in each other's faces or some some promise or some fear or something like that, right? Like fear of losing someone. The fear of losing someone, yeah. What if it was just, hey, I'm choosing, we're choosing each other in this moment. Mm, The fear of being alone. The things that we do have done. Yeah, I mean, I, that's my definition <laughs> to of love. To not be alone. 
Uh-huh. It's it's choosing to share all that you are with someone. Mm-hmm. And that when I say all, I mean all, right? All, all that of you it. are. Mm. Period. All of it. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot. But like <laughs> when we bring our whole selves to the table, magic happens, right? But uh-huh. if we are constantly compartmentalizing bits and pieces of us, number one, that requires invisible labor. And we already don't have the energy barely to survive, let alone thrive. Nobody has time to be mm-hmm. engaging in the invisible labor of compartmentalizing. And two, what could we be doing with that energy if we weren't using it to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if someone, again, if love is about freedom and if, if relationships are about freedom, then that means you should be able to bring your health self to the table. Yeah. Period. I'm with it. One thing I just want to sort of bring to our conversation is this idea that in maybe this unique context of New York City, which I think a lot of people across the country view as a utopia where everybody's um, (laughs) sexually liberated and gender liberated and you can be who you want to be and how you want to be and there's no risk, no danger, no fear. Everything's great in New York City. That's at least the idea that some people might get who do not live in New York City and who have not experienced the dating scene in New York that I hear is pretty bleak, I don't know. But I hear it's, <laughs> I hear it's, um, I hear it's rough. Uh, with so many choices, with your Tinder, with your, uh, what else, grinder or your whatnots, people yeah. are, are doing your DMs that people slide into on Instagram. All these options, right? And some people just want to dive in and get on out of that water as soon as possible. So, Amber, what do you what do you think about that? What do you what do you think about deep relationships and really talking about bringing our entire self to the table? Like, if we're just engaging shallowly, why would I want to bring my myself to the table when you know you're gonna be gone in the morning? Right. Uh, I think I have I have two thoughts. One is emotional reciprocity, and the other one is about curating your life. Hold on. Emotional reciprocity. And curating, curating your relational life. And right? curating your <clears throat> relational life. Tell us about so, it. We talk about emotional intelligence, right? So the ability to understand our emotions and to understand the emotions in others. What we don't talk about enough is emotional reciprocity. Mm. What does it mean to sit in our emotions with others? And what does it mean to reciprocate those emotions? And for me... It's not about, I think, I think it's daunting for some people to say, like, tell me how you feel. Mm-hmm. For me, emotional reciprocity is not about language. It's about literally feeling, mm-hmm. right? So sitting in a space with someone and allowing them to just be feeling next to you, mm-hmm. that's reciprocity, right? And not judging them, but affirming them, mm-hmm. right? You feel this way, and I'm going to sit here and feel this with you. Mm-hmm. And I know I've struggled immensely in my life with that. Um, I'm fine talking about my emotions. I am not fine feeling my emotions with others. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what creates a deep relationship. And I think that's something that we have been taught to fear and run the other direction from, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just, oh, boys don't cry. It's people do not cry. And we should not cry in public. And we should not cry with others. Especially if you're black. Especially if you're black. what does it mean to experience joy as a black person in public? That's something that mm-hmm. we're also taught not to do. We're taught to yeah. not reciprocate emotion. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about this new age, I don't know that it's necessarily our generation or the generation right behind us. I think this might be something that is um, racially constructed and, and constructed via gender that we've been taught to run from that. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first step towards creating deeper relationships 
is healing from the trauma of, of repressing our emotions and then just sitting with folks and learning how to reciprocate emotions, just being emotionally reciprocating. Then the other part of that is curating. I do not like the term fall in love. It sounds like a trip, right? It sounds like <laughs> something that accidentally happened. And, and if we are always accidentally finding ourselves in intimate spaces with people, then that denies us the agency to curate our mm -hmm. intimate space. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like to approach the world as a curator? As someone who says with intention, I am going to put these things in my life so that I can have these types of experiences, yeah. right? And so sometimes you might use the word cultivate, but when we cultivate something, we're essentially like planting a seed and seeing what happens, right? Mm -hmm. So think of cultivation as one body, but curation has multiple bodies and how they interact. So it's not planting a seed, it's planting an entire garden, mm -hmm. right? And then we're gonna see what happens as these things begin to grow and interact with one another. And so as, as I'm moving into my 40s very soon, I am learning the importance of, of curating my life, mm -hmm. of curating my experiences, and of putting people in my life um, that serve multiple types of functions in multiple types of spaces, but not this sort of all-encompassing, be my all in everything. Right. Um, but what does it look like to just curate our space? Right? Cur curate your entire space, um, inclusive of your romantic life, but yes. not just your romantic not just life, your romantic like life. curating the whole joint. What do you think brought you to that point? Oh, the searching for number one. Oh. You know, I think we spend, we're taught from a young age to find our, our prince and princess and to, to put everything we have into primping ourselves to be perfect when that person arrives. Mm -hmm. But what about the twos, the threes, the fours, you know, the 500s who get us there? Uh -huh. And so I'm thinking about my, my lineage, right? All of the relationships I've had. Mm -hmm. um, some of them created trauma. Some of them were beautiful. Some of them created lessons. Some of them were kind of mundane and silly but all of them taught me a little bit more about myself, mm -hmm. and all of them taught me a little bit more about my needs, about my boundaries, about my likes, my dislikes. And so for me, that's the beginning of this, this curation process, right? Yeah. So instead of focusing on finding this one, I'm instead putting energy into the twos through the 5,000s, mm -hmm. you know, all the people I meet, all the people who have value and something to offer me, not just romantically, but in general. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more that we pay attention to each person who comes into our life, the more we become aware of what we need, the easier it is to curate our life and to curate our experiences. You know, when we were talking before, you said that search for number one is like like a fucked up game of where's Waldo? <laughs> like, where the fuck? Waldo, and you just you just you just engage in these people and like, is you Waldo? You not Waldo? Fuck you then. Where's the next where's my Waldo? I want my Waldo. And I don't want nobody else. Yeah, um, that's a lot. And <laughs> and maybe Waldo is a fantasy, a phantom. Maybe. Maybe Waldo is not even what you really want. Right. Once you get Waldo, right. it's like, oh, I didn't expect you. I didn't did expect you, did that. Did you used to actually read the Where's Waldo books? One of the interesting things about me as a child, and I think this helps contextualize everything I probably said, is I was not interested in finding Waldo. I was really interested in everything else on the page. Mm -hmm. There's so much on those pages. I mean, you've got there these is a lot. figures that are like, I don't know, half an inch to an inch tall mm -hmm. on a book that's generally, you know, 18 inches high, right? Mm -hmm. By 12 inches wide. This is a big book. Mm -hmm. 
If you spend your entire time just looking for Waldo, what have you missed out on? Everything. And I think what people, some people don't know is at the back of Where's Waldo, there's a whole list of other things you can find. I never knew that because I was just looking for Waldo. <laughs> All I wanted was Waldo. Right? And I mean, really, um, I think part of my personality is um, to be strategic, to have intention, really, with everything that I do. And if it doesn't serve a purpose, then I'm kind of like, why is this here? It should go so I can replace it with something else that's um, significant or important. And, and I think as, as a Libra, um, <laughs> I've probably done that with people, too. Um, so the question becomes, <laughs> what if you haven't figured out the purpose yet and you discard something? Nah, nah, nah. The way my personality is set up. <laughs> I, I usually think, no, and, and no, sometimes I'm sure that I have, actually, I don't think that I have cut off someone prematurely, I think. I think part of my process also, to, to be real with that, is intuitive, yeah, and sure. definitely has to do with, what's the vibe? And I will light a candle, <laughs> I will ask an ancestor, my mama, I will... Listen, my mom is my grandmother. Shout out to my grandmother, my, my primary ancestor, providing answers from the other side since 2001. And, and I mean, it's just, I, th there, is, there is this, this desire in me to be intentional yeah. around a lot of things. And sometimes that, that shows up as me being a control freak and trying to control everything, knowing I can't control anything. And other times it looks like me just choosing what's best for myself. So there's, there's good on both sides of that. But when you talk about this idea of curation, I wonder, is there space for spontaneity? Is there space for like, oh, I'm just fucking around? Or, or the, oh, hey, that's an interesting meeting I just had with this person. Why don't I just yeah. hook up and, and, and bounce? And I mean, there's no, there, you didn't stay in, in my museum that I've curated for a, long, for a long time, but you know, you popped in. So I'm wondering about the role of spontaneity and, and maybe just intuition because curation sounds like a, a rational project to me and maybe I'm hearing it wrong, but you tell me, what do you no, think? No, I, I think there's, that's a, spontaneity is another type of experience. Mm -hmm. So yes, you absolutely can do that. So think about pop-up museums, right? And pop-up exhibits. Mm -hmm. The Justice Sleep technically is a pop-up exhibit. We pop up and we pop out. Yeah. And it doesn't last long, but it's meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. um, what's, the, what's that great line on all the Tinder apps now? I'm not looking for a long time, but a good time, right? Oh. So like, I don't think that, when, when I say curate, it definitely isn't just logical. It absolutely can be intuitive. Mm -hmm. um, what it is, is it's intentional. Mm -hmm. And it's saying that I'm, I'm not flying by the seat of my pants, but yeah. rather, I am doing things that make that, that that make meaning for me, right? That make sense for me. I'm with you. Um, and like you said, it, it it's a there's a purpose behind it, and not every purpose is is big, mm -hmm. right? Not every purpose is end of the world, you know, dream big, life purpose. But some of them are very small. Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, I, I think you have to determine what you are curating, and I don't think that there are rules around that. For me, I have a list of things that I want to curate based on my past and my lineage and my experiences that may yeah. be very, very different from someone else's. That makes sense. You know, this reminds me of a quote that I, I want to share from Toni Morrison. It's from one of her books called Jazz. And one of the characters says this thing that I think has profoundly impacted me. And so I'm going to share it with y'all. She writes, but the picking out the choosing. Don't ever think I fell for you 
or fell over you. I didn't fall in love. I rose in it. I saw you and made up my mind. Mm. So when we talk about this idea of like the, the, the choosing um, and, and having some intentionality around our love life and, and I think holding, holding this intention or in juxtaposition to this idea of, oh, you, you can't help who you love and, and it just falls and you fall and we want to fall and everybody falls and, and uh, maybe we could all stand to use a bit more of intentionality and we can get some of these jokers out of our lives. Um, or, or, or when that joker shows up uh, for the third time in your life because the universe has something that they want to communicate to you, mm-hmm. you can uh, not engage or, or find a new way to engage, create your boundaries or whatever you need to do, whatever you didn't learn on uh, joker number one and um, mm-hmm. joker number two. So there's that. <laughs> no, that's, I think that quote, is, that quote is awesome because you know, it, it, it showcases autonomy uh-huh. It showcases agency, right? Mm-hmm. And it showcases that intention. And there's, there's something beautiful to be said about what it means to see Joker 1, 2, and 3, finally learn that lesson, and then say, now I know how to spot you. Yeah. Right? Because I, I definitely... Spot you from a mile away. I spot you from a mile away, right? And that's what it means to complete a cycle. Huh. Like you get trapped in these cycles because there's something you're supposed to learn and you haven't learned it yet. And you keep reliving the same experience. I've definitely been in relationships where I'm like, same exact story, just different package. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, why do I keep doing this? And I've learned from myself over the years that I am a people pleaser. And I love mm-hmm. to find people who need my help. Mm-hmm. right? And I just want to help. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, what does it mean to do that in a non-romantic way so that my romantic partnerships isn't about me helping someone? Yeah. Right? And that's where I am now, like curating love that doesn't require me, that doesn't need me, Mm -hmm. that just wants and desires me, Mm -hmm. but also still finding ways to help others because that's obviously important to me. I just let it show up in my life in ways that was not productive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I know that there are so many people that I know that are excellent helpers and (laughs) excellent helpers. And I I end up hearing from them how, how some people take advantage of that or want to gather that into a backpack and keep it all to themselves and and the relationship becomes more about what you can do for me and how you can help me become than about how can we be in relationship with each other, enjoy each other, and support each other, right? right? There's support and then there's this like like aid or like relief or some shit, like a hurricane victim (laughs) or something, like, God damn! (laughs) (laughs) I had to help your, the the hurricane that is your life is too much. But Mm -hmm. I do want to go to this, this, another person that we interviewed who, this question of of curation that I want to stay on, and it's like, I feel like part of that has to do with having an idea of what you actually want. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. And that's hard. That's hard. So let's, yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to this, this interview and come back to that. How do you feel about the relational framework? Starting with uh, monogamy, dating, and then engagement, marriage, forever. How do you feel about that framework? The traditionalism of it, does it feel good to you? How do you interact with that in your life? I feel like it's difficult because I feel like I still hold on to a lot of those ideals. Um, but also, I see that in reality, like just questioning whether that's something that I really want, or is it something that I've been told that I want my whole life, 
so that now that I don't know the difference between what I want and what I've been told that I want. So, Where are you in that questioning process? Are you in the beginning? Have you been? I definitely think that I'm a person who monogamy works for me, but I don't know if it has to be forever. I know so many people who have had many great loves in their lives, and I feel like sometimes, especially as women, we're forced into feeling like we need to find that person soon, procreate with them, and like settle down. And but the reality is, is that like I know women that have been blessed to have women in my community who are in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and they're still finding love and sometimes the, the hottest thing is not coming at you when you're in your 20s or 30s so I feel like I also hold as much as I hold up the ideal of um, finding that one true love I also know that like it can be exciting to have this imagination where you have many true loves and you experience them for a time and then you also you, you also get to have another one you know to me I feel like I'm trying to fall more in love with that possibility and not be anxious because it causes real anxiety. The idea that you have to find one person and then be with them for the rest of your life. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think prevents you from falling in love with that alternate reality, like just wholeheartedly and easily? Or what's the what's the challenge? Society. <laughs> like I feel like it's society and also the idea that I do want to have children. I'm still thinking about whether I want biological children or not, so people make you feel like... And then also there's a very real thing that after 35, like, you don't... Uh, it's, it's really difficult to have kids naturally, and then also, like, I don't want to do it by myself. Like, I, want, I would love to do it with somebody who's going to stick around for 20 years, you know? Like, I feel like that's... You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so when yeah. it comes to your relational desires... Mm -hmm. Maybe expectations, maybe uh, hopes, or even pushing back against some of the more traditional frameworks. Do you feel free to communicate that in your relationships, or maybe upfront, or maybe you're in something and you're trying to communicate that? What do you think? No, no. I feel like people don't. First of all, I'm not comfortable, and then I also feel like other people are not comfortable uh -huh. talking about anything these days. This is one of my biggest stresses. People want to have sex. People don't want to talk about sex. People want to have kids. People don't want to talk about kids. People want to get married. People don't want to talk about marriage. And it's like the, the weirdest thing. So I feel like actually maybe I am more comfortable talking about things. And maybe I want to over talk about things. And I find that I meet a lot of resistance with people. when I want to be like clear about the fact that maybe I'm confused. Or just want to like process stuff with people. And people are like, why do you want to talk? <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. All right. I got you. So Amber, what do you think? What do you think about our our interviewee here, who's who particularly is talking about how they're in this fate, this stage of their life where they are questioning um, whether what they want is what they actually want, or if what they want is what they have been told they want, mm -hmm. and um, what is what is what is real in that situation? I guess is what they are trying to figure out for themselves and. I'm sending them all the good vibes mm -hmm. in that um, in that search because I know it's it's a challenge to begin being intentional in your relationships and and saying this is actually what I want mm -hmm. and I don't want this. Yes, there there are so many layers to that question and that that statement. One of the most basic layers is just humans in this world right um we definitely lack the capacity to separate our desires from the desires that are dictated to us via media mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. be our friends growing up, be our families, right? Because mm-hmm. there's, there's this narrative, this master narrative that there are certain things that we're supposed to want. So the first, yeah. like the first part of that is just digging through that and saying, well, do I actually want that? Uh-huh. Um, because a lot of people don't want that, right? Mm-hmm. Which might be a part of your, your questioning, um, you know, from monogamous dating to engagement to marriage and, and forever, mm-hmm. right? But it also might just look like other things. It might be sex, period, intimacy, period, yeah. um, partnership, period, right? Children. Like all of these things are things that we've been force fed. Mm-hmm. But above and beyond that, I, I, to, to dig even deeper, there's this idea that do we even understand our reality? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this theorist named Jean Baudrillard who talks about these four stages of evolution and simulation. Mm-hmm. So you have the thing itself, right? Which in this case, we'll say Walt Disney. Walt Disney wanted to recreate the playground for everyone that was long lasting, where people could come and be children no matter what. So the thing itself is the playground. Okay. Disney is a simulation, right? Disneyland is a simulation of that playground. Yes. And we go to that playground so much that we start to think of it as an, its own structure. Mm-hmm. So then Disneyland becomes a thing and then we duplicate it. So now mm-hmm. we have Disneylands all over the world, mm-hmm. right? And when we go to Disneyland, we are going there for a whole different experience, not realizing that what we're actually just wanting to do is go back to that playground, mm-hmm. right? So how much of our reality has been filtered through these stages of evolution where we can't really tell if we're in a recreated drama or in the thing itself. Mm-hmm. And I think our relationships kind of mimic that. So a lot of us understand who we are and what we want based on what our past partners have said about us. Oh, shit. Not what we've experienced in our relationships, but how we read ourselves through their words. Uh-huh. So when someone tells you, Elise, these are your flaws, uh-huh. then you go and internalize them and later on they actually become your flaws. Is that you? Mm-hmm. Or is that a rendition of Elise that has been filtered through past partners? Yeah. And if you can't fiddle through that mud, how in the hell are you going to know what you want? How in the hell are you going to even be able to begin separating your desires from that which has been named for you? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about real deep diving into mm-hmm. multiple, multiple layers and multiple traumas, multiple histories, just to be even able to unpack what we want. Mm-hmm. So when, when that responded, when, when they said... I'm still questioning, that's a real honest, transparent moment that I think all of us need to do, right? And don't take for granted that we just, I know who I am, okay. Let's talk about it, right? Yeah. Let's dig into those trenches. Right. Huh. It's a lot, I know, it's a lot. Yeah, I wanted to sit with it for a second. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe this would be a good time for you to pause and catch your edges and <laughs> do what you got to do. Have a, have a sip of water. Get some um, floral tea. It opens you up and you can, you can sit with that because, I mean, it's, it's real. And, I mean, it takes very few relationships to get there. You know what I mean? It's not like you have to have run the gamut um, of, of lovers. I mean, that... It is what it is. And on, on top of that, I mean, you can put your family in there. You can put um, TV or whatever in there. All these things that are speaking to us. There are the sirens again, and they are it's telling us that <laughs> it's real. It's real. Focus. It's focus. <laughs> Listen, but um, I think that that's so, that's so important. And I appreciate you for sharing, sharing that framework because it makes me think about... Um, sort of what what do we need 
what do we need? What kind of qualities do we need in um, our relationships in order to bring our best self forward? I have been thinking a lot about my relationships and realizing that something about, for instance, the alchemy of me bringing myself and these particular personalities that I'm not going to elaborate on right now, but these particular personalities bringing themselves and the explosion that happens every time that happens and being willing to say, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with them per se. It's just the alchemy. It's just what happens when these elements <laughs> come together. It just makes an explosion. And, 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 and being willing to be like, all right, and that's okay. And, and there are other sorts, of, other sorts of people, other sorts of personalities that, that help me to feel safe that helped me to whatever that might be. We can't even have that conversation right now. I've been, I've been troubling the idea of safety and if, if it's actually even a thing. But um, let's just say it is a thing. But, but those people that help me to feel safe, those people that, make, that help me to feel like I can bring myself to the table and, and don't remind me of my teacher who told me that I wasn't smart enough for some shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, let, let's, I, I definitely don't want to overlook the trauma and be like, oh, we should be over that and, and we can just erase it and, and continue to bring people into our lives and, and, and things that we haven't healed from yet. And healing is a process, so I definitely don't want any of us to act like we're ready for something that we are not ready for. Let's just be honest with ourselves. But I think that there's some qualities that I have found are particularly important and I think of, of one. How about a space where, like you're saying with this curation and this, this choosing, this freedom to choose, how about a space where we can just be free to choose? Mm. That I can be free to say, I feel like I need to move to Paris for a year, mm -hmm. and I'll be back, or I might not. And we can visit, and it'll be lovely, and, um, and we can figure out what happens when I get to Paris, or right. maybe we should open this thing up. Or maybe we should, um, you know, whatever number of things that we can choose for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't run from the quote-unquote, people like to say slippery slope of, of anything. That, and, and when you call out the slippery slope, that means that you can just be like, all right, so we shouldn't do this because it's a slippery slope. Well, I like slippery slopes. <laughs> and they, they, they make a fun, a fun um, uh, slide. And it can, <laughs> you can't ski without a slippery slope. Ain't that right? So... I mean, that, that's for me, I feel like just that desire to co-create a space of choosing mm -hmm. and of freedom is so essential for anything that I'm gonna do, particularly a romantic thing. But, but Amber, I, I have heard you talk about forgiveness. <laughs> I have heard you talk about imagination. <laughs> I have heard you talk about celebrating authentic selves. And that sounds Beautiful. Tell me about that, that, that framework, what those words mean to you in relationship and, and how you come to them. What, what, what does that mean for you, these, these really big words? Yeah. And all of them sound hard. Tell me what you, what you think about. <laughs> I think it actually it, it coincides perfectly with what you just said mm -hmm. about the freedom to choose. 
So I've been in multiple relationships where I've had opportunities to go and do really great things mm-hmm. outside of the country, inside of the country. And I said no because of fear. Mm. I didn't want my partner to feel less than. Mm. I didn't want my partner to feel abandoned. I didn't want my partner to feel like they weren't enough because they weren't having the same opportunities. Yeah. Can I get you, can, I, can you pause for just one second? Yeah. Because in my spirit, I heard somebody say, fuck that. I wouldn't do that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> hey, guess what? Yeah, probably you probably do. <laughs> <laughs> in, yeah. in varying ways. And I just want to lift that up. Um, that we do make these concessions and we do um, cut ourselves, sell ourselves a little short for someone else. So don't front. Absolutely. Continue. So what, what that required for me was forgiveness, right? Forgiving myself mm-hmm. and letting myself feel like I couldn't be everything that I am. Hmm. And, you know, we have all of these quotes about shine, you know, and it's like if, if, if someone can't respect your shine then you shouldn't be with him, right? Mm. You shouldn't be sharing space. But then how much of that was self-imposed? Mm. So would, would my partner have responded in ways that I thought had I said, I'm going to go do this? Now, to give away the happy ending, yes. Because then when I said, I'm going to go do this, and it was like, what? what about me? What about my summer? What about my this? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe not every partner responds that way. Yeah. Right, so forgiveness is about self-love, but it's also about forgiving our partners too when we fail to show up in ways that mm-hmm. we, you know, are, we fail to meet expectations. Because the bottom line is we fail every single day. And yeah. if you can't practice forgiveness, you're gonna hold on to some pain and some trauma, and then you're not healing, mm-hmm. and then here you are repeating those cycles. Yeah. And for me, imagination is crucial because it allows us to think through that curation process with a whole new lens. Because mm-hmm. if you're not reimagining how relationships can look, mm-hmm. what you're going to curate? You're going to curate the same bullshit the you've norms, been told to curate. That homonormativity, that heteronormativity, all that shit. Yep. And so as you are moving through the world thinking about what it is you want and what you love, you need to curate that. So when Elise says, I want to go to Paris for a year, that's that's an imaginative move, right? Mm-hmm. And you can figure out a way to make that relationship work or mm-hmm. pause that relationship mm-hmm. or pick it back up later or mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm going to leave this one up to the universe. Mm-hmm. If we're supposed to be together, perhaps it's just going to happen anyway because mm-hmm. the universe stay trolling us, right? The universe <laughs> is like, oh, that's what you want? Let me show you what it's going to feel like and then we'll see if you still want it. Oh, damn, right? And so this idea then of celebrating who we are is living in that truth, saying, yeah, I am great, Mm -hmm. And I am shining, and I am going to go out and let these things just be Mm -hmm. and explode in ways that are good. Because if I'm shining, that means I'm shedding light on other people, right? I'm creating Mm -hmm. space for other people to revel in my illumination and to also bring their own. And Mm -hmm. that's what freedom in a relationship looks like, period, right? That's what celebrating your true self looks like Mm -hmm. versus saying, let me stifle my greatness because I don't want to make other people feel bad. No, fuck that. Light the room up, Mm -hmm. right? That's how we see each other. Right. right, we bring all of our light to the table. We see each other. Yeah. Yeah. This made me think about what I did not like about marriage, or marriage as I understood it and practiced it. Shout out to my my former. <laughs> no offense to him. Um, nobody's fault. I think we both were working with a framework that was given to us and did not want to disturb it mm. for a good bit of the time. And yeah, I mean, even to the point that I was 
married to a man. Oops. Um, <laughs> great, great man, though. But, but it makes me think that sometimes this framework, particularly of marriage, in the traditional sense, it seems to lack imagination. It seems to put a, a, an entire limit on authentic selves because it's almost like I've always, I've always wondered, how do you stay together forever if you're constantly changing? Hello. And different and rates, different paces, and yeah, different at different ways, rates, different different. different I mean, you might be going in completely different directions, Hello. and so I've, I've I've questioned this idea forever for that very reason because it's like, well, I guess if I had stayed the same and if he had stayed the same as we were in the beginning, then we would have stayed together, but we didn't. We grew and grew in different directions, as it turns out, which is which is great, and I think that we even needed each other for that growth and and. I, I don't regret anything about that, but it, it just makes me think in the traditional framework, how do you become, how do you practice authenticity if your partner wants this static figure or if the institution demands a static figure, someone who isn't constantly growing and changing, who isn't pushing the limits and is just getting us to this place of security where we can chill and say, all right, we got each other forever, everything is stable now, and we're just going to do this thing. And that, that, that illusion of stability and that illusion of security, I think, has really had us uh, fucked up and chasing Waldo. <laughs> yeah, I think for that answer, we have to look to those who figured it out. I haven't figured mm -hmm. it out, right? So I don't have the answer. But I do know couples who are absolutely imaginative. In real life? In or? real life. In okay. real life. Because I've been looking to Will Smith and Jada, and I don't know them, but they look like they got something <laughs> that I need to be uh, there's, there's a specific <laughs> studying. Couple, there's a specific couple I'm thinking about. Um, I don't know if I can, I can't say their first names. It's Stanley and Linnell, and I've known them since I was a very, very small child. Mm -hmm. And uh, Linnell was a supermodel way mm -hmm. back in the day, and Stanley is a fashion designer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Linnell's also a painter, so she's an artist. And so Stanley spends like 60% of the year in New York, mm -hmm. and Linnell spends almost 100% of the year in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And then he spends the rest there. Mm -hmm. And I watched this couple age and grow together for, yeah, they've probably been married for 50 years at this point, right? Like, they're, they're an older couple. Mm -hmm. But something my mom pointed out to me um, when I was little was, and she said it jokingly, but I think there's some truth to it, is that the reason that they've been married so long and are still so very happy is because they take time to be apart. Mm -hmm. There's this wonderful song by Emily King called Distance, right, where she says, love is so much better when we take time to go back to who we are when we are apart, mm -hmm. right? That, in their relationship, required extensive imagination because that was not normal in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. It was not normal to have separate spaces like that. But what they did was they said, well, this is what's going to work for us mm -hmm. because I have these things that I need to do in the world, whether it's modeling at, at, in Los Angeles or designing fashion in New York. Like, there's these things that I have to do, mm -hmm. and we will find the time to be together. And when we're together, that time is going to be so much more precious and so much more valued um, than if we were taking advantage of the fact that we're always there, yeah. right? And so I'm thinking of that for me as maybe a potential model for longevity mm -hmm. because 
I don't necessarily want to share infinite space. I've learned that about myself, right? This yeah. idea of infinite space, you are always welcome in my home and it's your home too. Mm -hmm. And we don't have space apart from each other. We share a bed, we share a closet, we share everything. Mm -hmm. I've even been in relationships where I share clothes and shoes. Yeah. And it's like, what does it mean to have zero autonomy? Like mm -hmm. we shared infinite space and there's no break. There's no getaway, mm -hmm. right? So like, I'm like, well, how do I curate a relationship then? And I don't know if it's like intentional long distance because that comes with a whole bunch of baggage too. But what does it look like to carve out space that is finite and not rooted in infinity where mm -hmm. it's literally taking everything that I've built and saying, oh, that's mine now. Mm -hmm. No, nah, homie, it's not. Yeah. Your toothbrush don't have to live here forever. <laughs> it don't. It ain't even got to show up once in a while. Shit. Take your toothbrush home. <laughs> shout out to That's Stanley and Linnell. Still alive. Sweet. Still happy. Yes, shout out to them. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Because we sometimes lack models yeah. for um, radical imagination and for, like revolutionary relationship making it's like right. where where are the, the models and within, um, within, which, within whichever framework I think it's important to see all of the models not just yeah. the ones that fit the normative trope of mm -hmm. monogamy engagement marriage mm -hmm. forever mm -hmm. because the, the fact is a lot of people aren't even doing that Hello. and and that's the funny nature of like norms and normativity it, it puts forth this ideal as if people were actually doing it right. <laughs> and i think that life shows us that um nope, we fail. uh, we, we're failing at it and and i mean this might be a case of of good failing yes. and, and i invite everyone every now and then to to um to fail and to fail mightily uh, there's lessons in that and there's power in that there is empowerment in that because one thing that i have learned from the many times i've failed is that um that's not it no after i fail i i don't and then sometimes i do again and and, and that's, that's never the end of the story well, i don't there's, think there's also a possibility in failure yeah post-it notes are failures why Someone was trying to make an adhesive, a very strong adhesive, uh -huh. and made a temporary one on accident. <laughs> and now we have post-it notes. Post-it notes. And who doesn't love post-its, man? Right? Like, I love them. If, if I think about my gender identity as a failure, hmm. um, I was failing at this idea of cis womanhood, and what that did was open up the doors for me to become who I am. Yeah. And I love who I am now, right? As a genderqueer, <laughs> fluid person, I am happy in my skin in ways that I've never been happy when I was walking through the world as a cis woman. And yeah. so, like, there's, there's so much possibility in failure. Failure, I don't think, is ever just negative, mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I think it can be wholly positive, mm -hmm. depending upon how we approach it. Because right. the reality is all of us are failing at gender. For sure. All of us. For sure. But we are trying so hard to repair those failures, right? But if we all just embraced our failures, like, does that liberate us from this idea of the gender binary in general, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's possibility in failure um, that I think we have to really reimagine um, as we continue to push through because the bottom line is if we don't have models, even when we do have models, we're still gonna fail, mm -hmm. right? But those failures teach us something mm -hmm. um, and we grow from them. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm team failure all day. Team failure. I appreciate this. And I want to land us with this, this last question. 
of how how do we communicate what we desire to curate up front? How do we communicate our desires? I once watched this short film and there was this man who decided that on the first date, he was going to tell it all. He was gonna say every negative thing about himself and every shortcoming that he has um, so that his dates will know during the first date and not one or two years down the line that he's, you know, he's special in these particular ways and, um, and, and that he would save them both a lot of trouble. And that was, you know, it was, it was a cute little short film and it was maybe, maybe a, an extreme case or something like that, or maybe some people would feel comfortable doing something like that. But it's, it's this idea of deciding that I don't want this to come up in two years or three years or five years or 15 years. And, 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 and I'm just gonna say it right up front and you can make your choice if you wanna stick around or not. That's one way to communicate what you desire to curate or communicate your desires or, or what have you. But what do you, what do you think Amber, what are your tactics or what are you, what is your approach to communicating your desires up front? So as a former or a recovering people pleaser, that's like really frightening, right? Because I want to present this image that is good for this perfect, you know, this is not perfect, but for this specific person, uh-huh. right? And I don't want to let them down, right? I don't want to let down your expectations, right? Um, it's like, that's terrifying. At the same time, lately I've been trying to practice this idea of just like being straight up. Um, like, this is what I want, or this is what I don't want. And I, I've chosen Tinder to try it out, right? Test run. It doesn't always work. <laughs> um, I think because the things that I desire are, are non-normative and aren't rooted in that traditional monogamy, engagement, marriage forever. Mm-hmm. I've gotten accused of being greedy. Um, mm-hmm. I've gotten accused of wanting to build a roster, like a team roster, so I can just plug in people and play at will. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the point. The point literally is, can I surround myself with a support system mm-hmm. where we support each other in mutually beneficial ways, however that looks. Mm-hmm. So with someone, it might be sexual, but with someone else, it literally might be you write me beautiful poetry and I want to reciprocate that with, with food. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be about sex, right? And I'm telling you, I've been misread and mislabeled so much um, as this person who just wants my cake and wants to eat it too. And I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with that? What else are you supposed to do with cake? Huh? <laughs> Ain't you supposed look to at eat it? that cake? Right? Like, nailed cake. it. Come on. So, like, cake. there's... I think that... I'm, I'm enjoying this practice and learning about how people respond, mm-hmm. but I will not pretend like there's not risks. Right. And I definitely feel like I, I was already doing the flaw part. I got to, I'll, t- I'll tell people my flaws. Like, I don't communicate my emotions well. I don't like being emotional with people. That's mm-hmm. a flaw, right? But I think we've gotten used to, I think we've gotten used to that. My mom used to tell me, don't ever tell your new partners about all the bad things your old partner did because then they'll just pretend like they're better than them and they'll throw those things in your face, right? <laughs> so instead, I just tell them about all the shit I did and then it's like, then they just use that against you too. But in ways, I feel like we've already, we already have practice in mm-hmm. talking about our flaws. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. we don't have practice is talking about our shine, mm-hmm. right, and how awesome we are. So maybe it's just a matter of 
balancing those things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think no matter what, as long as you put yourself out there, people will judge you. People will label you. People will create expectations for what's supposed to happen. That is not a reflection of you. Mm -hmm. That's a reflection of them. Mm -hmm. So if it explodes, that's not because of you. That's let it go and keep on going. It doesn't mean don't be honest and transparent with the next person. Right? It doesn't mean right. don't keep talking about them. Maybe it just means continue molding them and, and so that when you stand in your truth, you stand tall and erect and yeah. not cowardly, right? Because yeah. you're afraid mm -hmm. that they might say, oh, that's too much for me. Mm -hmm. You are going to be too much for some people and you're going to be not enough for some and that is okay. That is what it is. It is what it is and it's okay to walk away. I have a lot of rhymes today. <laughs> And when it's right, it's okay to stay. There's another rhyme. So that's all we're going to have for uh, this episode. But I just want to say thank you to Amber and to uh, those beautiful black queer people that I had the gift of meeting this week um, for sharing your stories so transparently and doing it for our community, for our healing, for our growth, and for our black queer love all love. I really appreciate it. So this is Phoenix telling you to eat that cake. You got that cake. You want your cake and eat it too. Eat that cake. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I was so caught off guard. And I was going to start singing cake. And I was like, no, that's Chris Brown. I can't sing that song. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, it's more like Rihanna. It's both of them. And this is Amber also signing off. Thanks for listening. Here at Black Queer Love, we value our stories as Black Queer people. Our stories of love, healing, thriving, and so much more. We've asked that you share your stories through narratives, poetry, art, and whichever expressive medium you choose so that we can use this platform to hear from you, our co-creators, either anonymously or using your name. Now we will share a poem from one of our Black Queer Love listeners. This poem comes to us from Hope Neal, entitled Touch Me Not. I thought I would remember the way she smelled as I had with past lovers. I remember her touch, the way her hand slid into the small of my back, her holding me, our hands intertwined but not our hearts. Her lips on my flesh, her tongue on my nipple. Why do I remember her? I had better lovers and love. Her touch imprinted on my soul. The memory remains. The sensation remains. The desire has gone. <laughs>